Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. The announcer just quoted 2 John verse 9, whoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. But how many preachers, you know, really think that's true? That if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God, you can't be saved. No, they say, well, no, just as long as you believe in Christ. It doesn't really matter so much what you believe and practice in religion. You could believe that baptism has to be an immersion of a believer, or you could believe that baptism of uh, the sprinkling of a baby for baptism is okay. You could believe either one of those, and you'd still be okay. You don't have to abide in the teaching of Christ. You just have to practice what you believe. As long as you believe something and practice that, as long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter if it's different from the doctrine of Christ, according to most preachers. Most preachers will say, well, it's okay to have women preachers. Some will say you can't have women preachers. And then a lot of preachers will say both sides are right. As long as you practice what you believe, sincerely what you believe, you're okay, even though it's not abiding in the teaching of Christ. But Second John 9 says, whoever transgresseth and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So it does matter what you believe, what you teach, and what you practice. It's not enough just to be sincere. It's not enough just to say, well, as long as you're practicing what you believe, you're okay. No, you got to practice what Jesus taught to be okay. He said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Not just anything, not just any teaching, just as long as you believe in Christ, you can believe and practice anything. No, you got to believe and practice the truth. you got to believe and practice what Christ taught. And you know, that really makes sense. If you say you believe Jesus is the Son of God, really, what are you saying? Son of God. And that means he's, he's deity himself. He's your authority. So if you really believe he's the son of God, that means you're going to believe and follow his teachings. Because he's your ultimate authority if he's the son of God. The announcer said, if you have a Bible question or comment, call in. You can get on the air. The lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Tonight, while we're, waiting, while we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16, verses one and 21 and 22. We can read about the scapegoat. Let me read that text. It says that Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. So let's talk about a couple of facts from that passage before I move on to another text. It says, Talking about the Israelites' transgressions, it says all of their transgressions, he'll take them and put them upon the head of the goat. And then the goat shall bear their iniquities out into the wilderness. So the, the Aaron lays his head, hands upon the head of a goat. And when he does that, all the sins of the Israelites are put upon the head of the goat. And the goat takes those sins into the wilderness. Now, that's not actually happening in reality. It's not in reality the sins of the people were laid upon the head of the goat and he takes them away. It's in type. It's in type. Let me, let me 
prove that to you, explain what I mean by that. That passage in Leviticus 16, 1, 21 and 22 sounds a lot like Isaiah 53 and the sacrifice of Jesus, doesn't it? Let's compare the appropriate parts of Leviticus 16 to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's talking about God laying the sins, our sins, of all the people in all of them that ever lived in the history of the world on top of Jesus. You see how that's exactly like Aaron laying the sins of the Israelites upon the head of the goat. And then in Isaiah 53, verse 11, it says, for he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus shall bear our iniquities. Well, that sounds just like what it said in Leviticus 16 about the scapegoat. The goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities. The wording is almost identical in the King James Version, isn't it? It seems like Isaiah 53 is quoting Leviticus 16 actually three times. So, so what it's saying is, is that the scapegoat, the sins were laid upon the scapegoat, this live goat, and the scapegoat took them away into the wilderness. That was the sins being taken away in type, not in reality. The reality of the situation is that the sins are laid upon Jesus and he bears them away. That's the reality. That's the way a type works. You have the type or the representation and then you have the antitype or the reality. The scapegoat then is a type of Christ when you compare these two passages, Isaiah 53 and Leviticus 16. In both the scapegoat type and the corresponding reality of Jesus, the people's sins are placed on the one goat or Christ that then takes away their sins. Do you see the analogy? That's what a type is. It's a parallel being made, an analogy between two things. And the Bible makes this comparison, this analogy, Isaiah 53 referring back to Leviticus 16. It's not a type. It's not a Bible type unless the Bible actually compares the two makes the analogy, makes the parallel. If we're just making up parallels, then that's just us. <laughs> but when the Bible has a parallel like this, that's what we mean by type. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. So then what does Isaiah 53 mean when it says Jesus bore our sins? Well, we see that wording in 1 Peter 2.24, it says, talking about Jesus, it says, who bear our sins in his body on the tree. Same thing in Hebrews 9.28, which states, Christ was once offered to bear the sin of many. So there we have in 1 Peter 2 and Hebrews 9 that Christ bore our sins. What does that mean? Thankfully, Isaiah 53 clears the matter up. Because Isaiah 53 verse 12 says he bear the sin of many. And Isaiah 53 11 says he shall bear their iniquities. They, of course, are the, teaching the same thing as 1 Peter 2 and Hebrews 9. And they are defined by Isaiah 53 6, which says the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So conclusion on this. Jesus bore our sins in the sense that our sins were laid upon him. <laughs> Duh, that should be obvious. It's similar to when a heavy load is laid on a pack mule. The mule bears or carries the pack, except as regarding sin, we're not talking about a physical object, we're talking about an idea. 
we mean spiritually, not physically. We're talking about Jesus bearing the responsibility or the punishment for our sin. Now, we're not talking about Jesus bearing the guilt of our sin, as many Calvinists would say. No, Jesus was the most completely innocent lamb of God of all time. He had no guilt. He did not have our guilt. You can't transfer guilt. You can't rewrite history. If Pat sins, you can't say, well, Jesus is guilty of the sins. That would be a lie. I'm guilty of my own sins. You can't. It's, it would be rewriting history to say that the guilt was transferred. But you can transfer the responsibility or the punishment for the, the, the sin, the transgression. The scapegoat of Leviticus 16 affords this same definition for bearing sin. Verse 22 states that the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities, while verse 21 supplies the specifics of that, all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. So how did the goat bear their iniquities? Well, that's because the sins were laid upon his head. How does Jesus bear our iniquities? 1 Peter 2, Hebrews 9. Twice in the last part of Isaiah 53. He bears our sins in the sense that our sins are laid upon him. Isaiah 53, verse 6. When you read Isaiah 53, verse 6 defines for us what it means that Jesus was to bear our sins. Verse 11 and 12. Just like with the goat, the goat bore their sins and that the sins were laid upon him and he took them away. That's the type. The reality or the antitype is our sins are laid upon Jesus, Isaiah 53, 6, and he takes them away. He bears our sins in that case. Do you see the type and the reality, the type and the antitype? You know, why would I be talking about this? Because I think it helps us when we talk about how the scapegoat, how the Bible teaches that the scapegoat is a type of Christ. It's not something somebody just made up, but it's, it's in the Bible teaching us that in Isaiah 53. Leviticus 16, it helps us to appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Because when we talk about the scapegoat, the sins being laid upon the scapegoat, him bearing them away to the wilderness in type, not in reality, that helps us to understand how that our sins were laid upon Jesus and he bore them away. That helps us to appreciate the fact that we are not going to have to pay for our sins because Jesus paid for them. They were laid upon him and he took them away. If we trust and obey. Remember, Jesus died for everybody. All the sins of the whole world of all time were laid upon Jesus, but it's up to us to take advantage of that. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Don't think that just because Jesus tasted death for every man, Hebrews 2, 9, that every man's going to be saved. No, the atheist is going to have to come to be a believer. Only trust people who trust and obey will take advantage of that. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 877- 655-6755. The, num- the lines are wide open if you have a Bible question about any Bible topic. 877-655-6755. So the scapegoat is a type of Christ, not in that it was sacrificed. Okay, because the scapegoat was not sacrificed. It's a type of Christ in the sense that the sins were placed on both the scapegoat Leviticus 16, 21, and Jesus, Isaiah 53, 6. Number two, the scapegoat, Leviticus 16, 22, and Jesus then both bore those sins away, Isaiah 53, 11. The scapegoat took the Israelites' sin away in type 
Jesus takes the Israelite sins away and the Gentile sins away. Everybody sins away in reality. He died for our sins. We have so much to appreciate in that. You know, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 28, it's during the time when he's instituting the Lord's Supper. He says, for, he's talking about the juice and how it represents his blood. He says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, we all know Isaiah, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9, 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. You can't be saved without the shedding of blood. And here we say, see from Matthew 26, 28, that Jesus is the one that sheds his, sheds his blood for our remission. What am I trying to say? What's the Bible trying to say? That Without Jesus' death, there's no way we could be saved. It wouldn't matter how many times we went to church, how many times we read the Bible from cover to cover, how many times we got baptized, how many times we helped a little old lady across the street. Without the death of Christ, without the shedding of his blood, we couldn't receive forgiveness, no matter what we did. So what that means is spiritually, we owe everything to Christ. Everything. We ought, since we owe everything to Christ spiritually, we ought to be willing to give up anything for Christ. Put him first before our, before money, before recreation, before our jobs, before even our family. He comes first. Remember Abraham? Wasn't he willing to put his son Isaac before, I mean, put God before his son Isaac? He was. He was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac for God, Genesis 22. We got to be like that. We got to be willing to put God first we got to be willing to put Jesus first. And we realize that we can't be saved without him, no matter what we do, no matter how good we are, no matter what we believe, no matter how many people we help, we can't be saved without the death of Christ. Then we realize that we owe him spiritually and we're going to put him first before anything. I believe talking about the scapegoat and how it's a type of Christ helps us to fully appreciate that. Realize that, our, that Jesus bore the responsibility for our sins in the sense that our sins were laid upon him. They were laid upon him and he took them away in the wording of Leviticus 16. Uh, the, the wording of Isaiah 53 verse 5, it says, the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. So what does that mean in Isaiah 53 6 that our sins were laid upon him? Not that the guilt of our sins was transferred to him, but like I said, he was completely innocent. That's not true. No, he took the punishment or the penalty for our sins. If he's willing to take the punishment or the penalty for our sins, we ought to appreciate that enough to trust and obey him implicitly. And we have to trust and obey him or we won't receive the benefits of what Jesus did for us. It's just amazing what he was willing to go through us for us. You think about this for a minute. Jesus had it made in heaven, we might say. He left his lofty position. He became a man, a servant at that, knowing full well He's going to have to suffer through this horrifically painful, torturous, sacrificial death for us. I mean, if I understand it correctly, we get the word ex excruciating, as in excruciating pain, from the word crucified. Today, when we have a murderer and we want to put him to death, in Alabama, they have the electric chair. Some states have lethal injection. It used to be, in, in this part of the world, traditional way to execute the the murder was through hanging, but they changed it to like the electric chair, lethal injection. They're trying to execute that murder with the least amount of pain possible. The crucifixion was just opposite of that. Isaiah 53, 5 said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's like the understatement of the year. He was not just wounded and bruised. He was crucified. 
I, John 19, I think it's verse 1 or 2, says he was scourged. Well, you might overlook that. It's only two or three words. But if you know what scourging is, scourging is where they take this whip with many tails, tie bones and rocks to the end of it, and basically just whip a person's on the back, and it just rips the flesh off their back. They did that to Jesus. Let's don't overlook that, even though just because it's in two or three words. Jesus went through this horrifically painful, sacrificial death for us. We need to learn to appreciate that. And I believe the more we appreciate it, the better motivated we're going to be to serve him faithfully. When it, In the future, if we're studying some doctrinal point, we're going to say, well, this is what the Bible says about that. It says baptism is an immersion of a believer, not the sprinkling of a baby. So we're going to be willing to change our belief and practice because Romans 6, 4 says it's a burial. And Acts, Acts 8, 35 through 37 shows it's got to be a believer. And we're going to be willing to change our belief and practice on that. We're going to say, that's not too much to give up and change to what the Bible says on that. Because look what Jesus was willing to go through for me. He must have loved us an awful lot to be willing to leave that lofty position in heaven. Uh, one of our songs we sing where I go to church, out of the ivory palaces. He left the ivory palaces and became this a servant to die this torturous death for us. He must have loved us an awful lot. We need to appreciate that enough to be motivated to trust and obey him with all our heart, soul, and mind. We better be glad Jesus bore the punishment for our sin, Isaiah 53, verse 5, which I just talked about. If he hadn't, there would be no possible way we could avoid the spiritual death, Romans 6, 23, that we all deserve for our sins. And we all sin, Romans 3, 23. Jesus bore our sins, the responsibility for them, the punishment, the penalty for them, so we wouldn't have to. In that sense, he substituted for us. Do you appreciate that, what he's done for you? If you if you really appreciate it, you won't just say it. You'll live it. You'll change your life completely and start. Remember that saying that was out that was so popular 15 years ago, what would Jesus do? That's exactly what you'll put into practice in your life. If you really love Jesus and appreciate what he's, he's done for you, then you're going to try to serve him with your, all your heart, soul, and mind. You're going to say in every situation where there's a temptation or a decision to be made, you're going to say, what would Jesus do in this situation? And we're not, we're not going to say, what does Pat want to do? You know, what would be the most enjoyable or best for me? We're going to say, what would Jesus do? And I'm going to be willing to make the sacrifice if it entails a sacrifice because I'm going to appreciate what Jesus has done for me, which we've been talking about from Leviticus 16 and Isaiah 53. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loveth, loved me and gave himself for me. So we're going to let Christ live through us. It's like we're pretending that we're going to let Christ take over our body. I want to do this, but what would Christ do? If, I, if he had control of my body, what would he do? You see, and so it's going to affect our every decision. We have to make a few sacrifices if we're going to live like that, if we're going to let, live letting Christ th live through us. But it's going to be well worth it because we appreciate so much what Jesus has done for us in what we see in Leviticus 16, Isaiah 53, and all the other passages that we see in the Bible talking about the sacrificial death of Christ. 
If you have a Bible question or comment, please give us a call. The number is 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, you want to get on the air right now, the lines are wide open. Like I said, 877-655-6755. You know, so what we're talking about is serving Jesus. We talk about what Jesus has done for us, as I said, to better motivate us to serve Jesus. What do you mean serve Jesus? Jesus said in John 12, 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my also servant be. But if any man serve me, him will my father honor. We, so you have to serve Jesus in order to be where he is in the afterlife, be in heaven. If any man serve me, where I am, there shall also my servant be. If you want to go to heaven, you got to serve Jesus. There's a big difference in believing in Jesus and serving Jesus. Let me illustrate. We all believe the Queen of England exists, but I think she's 90-something years old now. But we don't serve the Queen of England. I guess the people in England, in a kind of formal way, they serve the Queen of England. But in the United States and Canada, we don't serve the Queen of England. We believe she exists, but we don't serve the Queen of England. Well, it's the same way. Preachers are saying all you got to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. No, you have to do a whole lot more than just believe the King Jesus exists. You have to serve King Jesus, according to John 12, 26. And there's a big difference in believing in a king, believing he exists, and serving that king. Serving that king means you're going to obey him. After all, you believe he's the son of God. Well, that means he's your ultimate authority. You're going to obey his teachings. Matthew 7, 21 makes this very clear. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn there. I know many of you are driving, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew seven twenty one. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Well, who's going to do? Who's going to go to heaven according to that? Is that just everybody who calls Jesus Lord? No. It says it's not everyone that calls Jesus Lord. It's the one that does the will of the Father which is in heaven. You've got to serve God, Jesus. You've got to serve God. You got to put him first. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." You got to serve Him first. You got to obey Jesus. You got to serve Jesus. <coughs> and and we ought to be willing to do that. Think about what He's done for us. All of our sins were laid upon Him. Isaiah fifty three verse six, and He bore them away. Verse eleven and twelve, same chapter. Hebrews five nine puts this obedience this way. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, In being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The newer translations might say, source of eternal salvation. Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. To who? To everybody? No, he died for everybody, but he's only the source of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. You have to obey Jesus to receive eternal salvation. Now, that doesn't make you the source of your own salvation. Jesus is still the source, even though you have to obey him. But you do have to obey him. Do you have to believe in Jesus to be saved? Of course. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible teaches that. But this verse, Hebrews 9, 5, 9 says that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So you not only have to believe, you have to obey. Most preachers say, no, you don't have to obey. All you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You don't have to obey the Savior. No. The Bible teaches you have to obey. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. Appreciate you so much. You listening tonight. 
We've got to go off the air pretty quick, so if you got a call, you better call in right now and make it quick. In James 2.24, you know, the Methodist Creed book says, so justification by faith only is the most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. But the Bible says in James 2.24, you see by works a man is justified and not by faith only. A lot of churches teach you're justified by faith only, but this verse says it's not by faith only. It's also by works. You know, Revelation 22.14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. What city is he talking about? Heaven. Who has the right to enter into heaven? Those that do his commandments, which means those that don't do his commandments, even believers, if they don't do his commandments, they're not going to enter into heaven. Only those that do his commandments have the right to enter into heaven. If you would like to learn more about this, perhaps you would like to do a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience. Call or text 256-682-9753.